Bibles now, if you would please, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. And then when you found that, I want you to find the book of Ephesians chapter 5. And if you put your finger there, because I'll be speaking more from the book of Ephesians today rather than from Matthew 5. That Ephesians will be more of a text for us. But our subject today is marriage. Our text verses that we begin with in the book of Matthew speak of divorce. And, of course, it's reasonable to assume that before a person would ever contemplate divorce, that they first have to be married. Jesus is speaking about a very pervasive problem among the Jews at his time. He's speaking about the law and how the Pharisees had perverted the intent of God's law and how they were mixed up on so many different subjects. Mainly, they were confused about justification, thinking that it's possible for a person to be good in order to get into heaven, or there are certain things that you can do in order to get there, and also thinking that they really didn't need to do anything else because they were already righteous in the eyes of God. But the apostle, or rather Jesus, points out that our justification does not come through the laws of God. The law of God was never intended to justify us, but it was intended to show what great sinners that we are and show us how far short that we've fallen of the glory of God. And so the law, when it's rightfully taught, will do no other than to bring us to the cross of Jesus Christ as the only one who can save us from sin. So there are six different examples that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 5 concerning misinterpretations of God's law. And one of these examples is about divorce. Uh, Divorce was a problem in their day, just as it is today. And we're going to talk about divorce next week, and we're going to discuss the evils of it. And also, is there a time when God permits divorce? Is there a reason that people can be divorced? But for now, I'm speaking to you about marriage. marriage, And if marriages are right, then we don't have to really worry about the issue of divorce. The best cure for divorce is a godly marriage. And that's where both partners in the marriage are following the will of God. They are saved people and doing what God has outlined in his word. Now, today we're going to talk about wives. Last week, I talked about husbands. And all the wives were sitting there elbowing their husbands in the side, saying, I told you so, I told you so. And I think that was a good place for us to start. And that's because God places the greater responsibility upon the husband. God holds the husband accountable because he's the one who is the physical and spiritual head of the family. But now we've got to talk about wives. And I know that this might be uncomfortable for some, but we can only teach what the Bible says. We're, we're just going to follow the Bible And I promise you that if you will do the same, that you will have a successful marriage. So let's read our verses today. If you'd stand with me, please. Matthew chapter 5, and we'll start at verse number 31. Matthew 5, verse number 31. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her, that is divorce, committeth adultery. Now that is the tie-in for our subject of marriage. So if you'd flip over just a few pages to Ephesians chapter 5, we'll read from there. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll start with verse number 22. Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, 
Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now skip down to verse number 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. In this section of Scripture, there are two and a half verses that are devoted to wives, eight and a half verses that are devoted to husbands. Now, men, we're going to talk about wives, but I want you to be very much aware of your responsibility. You are the one who's responsible for your family. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word today, we just ask you, Lord, help us to do your will. Help us to open our hearts to the truth of your word. May we accept it. May we do it. May we practice what you have said for us to do. We know, Lord, that whenever we obey your word and your will, that we will have success in our lives. Bless in this message today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Solomon wrote in the Proverbs, Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Solomon wrote that. He had 700 wives. And most of us would probably say that is way, way too much of a good thing. But having a wife really is a good thing. Having a good godly wife is a good thing. And sometimes we really don't understand how good that that is. I remember hearing a story about a man who was the president of an insurance company. And he was taking a road trip with his wife. And when they stopped to get gas, he visited the men's room. And when he came back, his wife was engaged in a friendly conversation with a young man who was pumping the gas. And when they got back into the car, his wife mentioned that the man who was pumping the gas was a former friend of hers, a teenage friend, and at one time they had actually dated one another. Well, the husband smiled, and he looked at his wife, and he said, Well, just think, if you married him, you'd be married to a gas station worker instead of an insurance uh, company president. And she said, no, no, dear. She said, if I married him, he'd be the president of an insurance company and you'd be the one pumping gas. <laughs> Sometimes we don't realize how good that a wife is. Solomon said also, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all of the days of her life. So it is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing for a man to have a good, godly, and virtuous wife. God knew that man needed love and companionship. He knew that man needed what a wife could bring to him. Uh, when man was created, God said, it is not good that man should dwell alone. And so he created Eve. He caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. Then he took one of Adam's ribs... In the first surgical operation that was ever performed, he took Adam's rib, and from that, he created Eve. And so there, in the Garden of Eden, he had the man and the woman, and from those two people, he made the very first marriage. Now, for the past two weeks, we've talked a lot about the purpose of marriage, and we've spoken about the physical and the emotional ties of marriage. And really, what I have to say today, you have to take in the context of all that we've already said. 
So I'm sorry if you weren't here to hear the other messages, uh, the general message about marriage and then the one about husbands, because it all has to be taken in the context of those messages. And what we're trying to do today is to discover how to get out of the awful mess that we're in because of the misunderstanding of marriage. Uh, Divorce has been a part of human life for thousands of years because men got upset and women got upset in the God-given defined roles of marriage. Now, as I've already said, I've spoken about the responsibility of the husbands in marriage, and today we could look at these verses that I've also read in Proverbs, and there we could speak about the characteristics of, of a godly marriage and a virtuous woman, and that would be really good. I mean, just to speak about women and just what a blessing that women are, uh, good godly women are to men. But that's not really the main emphasis that I want to make today. I want to uh, take an approach to this by looking at God's order of things. Now, I want to talk about what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, which is the duty of a wife to submit to her husband. Now, I know that I'm on shaky ground this morning, and I know that our society is not very much geared to this type of teaching. And because we're not, we actually do have a lot of problems in our marriages. Husbands don't take their responsibilities seriously, And the wives don't understand the position that God has given them in a marriage. Now, if we look at Ephesians 5, verse 22, Paul says there, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Some of the things that I want to talk to you about today, we covered a couple of years ago in the study of Ephesians on Wednesday nights. And so some of you might recognize what I'm going to say, uh, but I rather have you remember what I said before than to forget it all. So we're going to talk about some same things again this morning. So we're teaching here about submission. Now, number one, submission is a Christian principle. And with most Christian principles, whatever God favors, the world is usually against. Submission is not a favorite subject, and that doesn't matter if we're talking about wives or parents or at school, at the workplace. We don't like to talk about being in submission because to us, to be in submission means that we are inferior. Submission means inferiority. Submission is against the human psyche. And it's like rubbing the fur on a cat the wrong way. And it's like sawing wood against the grain. It just doesn't feel right and we don't like it. And we believe that if we must submit to another person, that that puts us on unequal footing with that person. And especially in marriages, women, sometimes, wives feel that way because she must submit, as the Bible says to her husband, that means that she's inferior. And so thus we have organizations like the National Organization for Women. We have people like the old, that were uh, in favor of the old ERA movement and such things. And they look at this Christian principle and they look at God's idea and they look at the Christian idea as something that is archaic. It is against women. And so all that preachers want to do is they want to oppress women. All husbands want to do is they want to oppress women. Well, nothing could be further from the truth as far as the Bible is concerned and as far as Christianity is concerned. In fact, there has been no movement in all the history of the world that has elevated women like Christianity. God has never spoken about women and about marriage from the viewpoint of inferiority. And so we're not talking here about who is smarter, whether it's the man or the woman. It's not who is better, 
It's not which one is more deserving. The issue is, how can mankind best serve God? And what is best for mankind as he does serve God? And we've already discussed when we talked about the husband that submission has nothing to do with servanthood. A wife is not the servant of her husband. Submission is not her taking a doormat position. It's not a demeaning position. But submission is right down the line with a good, godly, spirit-filled life. Now, I want you to notice that submission is a Christian principle because submission is for the glory of God. Now, wives, the very best reason of all why you should be a person of submission, Paul explains very clearly. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. So this is not primarily given for man's sake. It's not to make the man feel good. It's not to make the man the God of the house. It's because this is what best fits God's economy. This is God's way of doing things. It's God's design for his people. And if you never get anything else, if you never understand anything else, you should understand this, that whatever God designs is always primarily for his glory. It's not primarily for the individual. It is primarily for his own glory. And so everything that's ever been created in this universe, whether it's animate or whether it's inanimate, whether it's a star that's in the heavens or whether it's a bug that crawls on the ground, all have been created for the glory of God. The psalmist said, the heavens declare the glory of God. Every star that's put into the heavens declares God's handiwork. And how much more true is that of humanity. And so when God says to submit, we may not understand all the reasons why, we may not have all of it figured out, but simply because God said it, it is holy, it is just, and it is good. And whatever glorifies God ultimately will always be for our good. Now the glory of God then is the first directive. If we're told to submit, then we are to do it enthusiastically, and we are to do it not grudgingly, because primarily, according to the Apostle Paul, as he says here, this is for the Lord. Now, secondly, submission is governed by Scripture. This is a Christian principle because it's taught in the Bible. Now, whatever a Christian believes has to have Scripture to back it up. And if we don't, if we don't, find it in the scriptures, then we really don't want to have it anyway. Now, the world says, here is what we think about marriage. Here is our opinion. And there are marriage counselors and psychologists, and there's Oprah who give their opinions. You know, I saw one of the young people the other day coming to church with a t-shirt that said, all that I ever needed to know, I learned from Dr. Seuss. And I don't know what that says about her father, but all she needed to know was from Dr. Seuss. You know, some adults could wear a t-shirt that says, all I ever needed to know, I learned from Oprah. And that is the sum total of their philosophy of life. But as Christians, we never say that this is my opinion or this is Oprah's opinion. We go by what the Bible says about it. Here is what God's Word has to say about it, because the Bible is the rule book. The Bible is the guidebook for marriage. And so if there's a marriage counselor or there's a psychologist who will take the Bible and use that for the basis of the advice that they give, that's fine. As long as we're going by what the Bible says and we don't contradict it. But there are people, and it's amazing to see this, there are people who read what Paul says about submission. And they say, oh, oh, but the Apostle Paul, he lived in a different time. 
Now we're much more civilized. Now we're much more advanced. Now we have new ways of governing marriage. Moses ran into that all the way back 3,500 years ago. There were people who were saying, well, what we learned about marriage in the Garden of Eden wasn't good enough. We have another way of doing things. And the Garden of Eden was some 2,500 years before Moses. So that's our cake. We, we don't do things like that anymore. We have a new way. And their better idea brought such chaos to marriage. And it ended up breaking so many homes that Moses finally had to give some regulations that govern divorce. Now we'll talk more about that next week. But there are preachers who have come up with new reasons for divorce. What Jesus says is not good enough. Now, what Jesus was doing right here in the Sermon on the Mount was fighting off multiple reasons for divorce. And that's the whole reason why he addressed it in the Sermon on the Mount. But people are saying, well, we have new ways today. We have new ways of raising children. There are new ways that we can make marriages work. There are new ways about what people should do. And in those marriages, we find that they end up in the predictable place, which is the scrap heap of relationships. Now, if you take what the Apostle Paul says about marriage, and you say, well, that's no good, then you don't like what Jesus taught about it either. They were on the same track. If you don't like what Paul says about submission, then you don't like what Christ says about submission. All that we're reading here is Scripture, just like all the rest. And so if you think that Paul is mixed up on this, then he must be mixed up on other doctrines, and then you've got to figure out which parts you are to believe. But these are actually Holy Spirit-inspired words, and so if you believe the Bible, that means you have to take all of it. The Bible governs marriage just like it governs every other doctrine that we have in the Word of God. And we teach these things because they're taught in the Bible. And we don't teach things because Oprah said it or anybody else said it. If it pokes holes in Oprah's theories or the marriage counselor's theories or my theories or your theories, so be it. We have to take what God's Word says, and that's what we will preach at Berean. Now, thirdly, this is a Christian principle because Christ was submissive. He is the greatest example. Let me ask you a question. Who is greater? Is God the Father greater, or is Jesus Christ the Son greater? Which one of those two is greater? Now, hopefully, all of us are good Trinitarians here, and we should know something about Trinitarian doctrine. And don't we teach this, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are co-equal in power and authority? Don't we teach that? Now, we may not understand all there is to know about Trinitarian doctrine. You say, well, I don't understand all that. And I'll confess to you today, I don't understand it all either. But I do know this, that the Scripture teaches that Jesus is equal in power and authority with God the Father. In fact, that's what upset the Jews so much. It was because he made himself God. He said, that's what you're doing. You're equating yourself with God. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And he used the Old Testament name for God. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And that was God's name in the Old Testament. I am. And he identified himself with the Old Testament Jehovah God. But what did Jesus do? He willingly submitted himself to the Father's authority. He stepped down from his throne in heaven. He took on the flesh of man. And he came into this world and he said, I have come to do the will of my Father. So Jesus willingly submitted himself to the Father. Well, does that make him any less God? Does that mean that Jesus is inferior because he practiced this submission? 
Well, certainly it couldn't be because we also know the Scripture says that every knee shall bow before the authority of Jesus Christ. Submission is a Christian principle because the founder, the very one that we take our name from, the whole reason that we call ourselves Christians, the one who in fact is Christianity, was a person of submission. He willingly submitted himself to the Father. And so, if we are to be Christ-like, if we are to be Christian, then we must also submit ourselves in the areas where the Bible says that we are to submit. And so, wives, when the Bible says that you are to submit to your husband, it can't be talking about your inferiority. It's not that you knuckle under your husband because you're unequal to your mate any more than Jesus was unequal to the Father. He chose to do that because it was the Father's will. And he chose to do it because it was for our good. And the same thing is true today. If you submit where God says to submit, it is God's will and it is for your good. Both men and women, it's for our good. Whenever we surrender to God's chain of authority. So submission is a Christian principle because it gives glory to God. It is governed by the Scriptures and it follows the example of Christ. It is Christ-like. Now, let's look at this from a little bit different angle. Number two is submission is a creative principle. Now, let me remind you that marriage is not a man-made institution. Marriage began with God. And I know that's not what the sociologists believe. It's not what evolutionists believe. They believe that man evolved, and over eons of time, we became social animals, and so we got together, and by trial and error, we came up with this idea of monogamy and of marriage. It's useless for me to talk to you about Jesus' teachings and on marriage and divorce if you think that God didn't give us marriage. It's useless to talk about it if you don't think that God is actually the one who governs marriages. But I assume that all of you are here today because this is exactly what you want to learn. What is it that God says about these things? Well, since God did create man, and God always does things with design and purpose, God is not haphazard. He does things with design and purpose. We ought not to think, then, that the order of creation is insignificant. In fact, it's very important, and it figures into the idea of submission. So what is the order of creation? First, man was created. Man was created first. The order of creation is man first and then the woman. And we might be tempted to pass that off as insignificant. And we think, well, it really makes no difference. Except for this, that the Scripture constantly reminds us of it. We just read it in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. That's why I said, pay attention to those last verses because God has established an order in creation. He reminds us throughout the Word of God that God's order is always to be kept. In fact, that's the reason that I'm preaching to you today and Joyce Meyer is not up here. Or some woman is not up here preaching to you today. You know why? Because I'm observing God's order. This is the way that God said it should be. The man is to be the one who has an authority, who has the the preaching responsibilities. That's not the purpose of the woman in the church. She's not to have that kind of authority. doesn't make her inferior. It just means that's not the place that God put her. And so that's why I preached to you today. How does God show us this? How does he show us the order? Well, Genesis 2.18 says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a help meet for him. So man was created, and woman was later created to be man's helper. The man was primary in creation. 
And the woman was created to help man with that responsibility of ruling over God's creation. Now, what God told Adam to do, he said, I want you to take dominion over all of the earth. Now, there were all kinds of animals that God had created, but none of those was suitable to be a helper for Adam. And that's because animals were created different. Man is created differently from the animals. And so Eve was given. Eve was given to be man's helper in that authority. In Genesis 1.26 we read, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So man is the one in authority. He has the dominion, which means that he has the authority of governance. He's the one that makes decisions, and he's, he's God's delegate over creation. And the woman was created to assist man with that responsibility of authority. And so we can say that the woman was given for assistance. Then secondly, the woman was created to complement man. Men and women have constitutional differences. Here's what Peter said. Likewise, ye husbands... Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now there, the woman is described as a weaker vessel. That doesn't mean that she's inferior. It just means that she is different constitutionally. Now physically, men are usually stronger. We talked a little bit about this last week. Men are usually stronger until we get sick. And then we have to have a woman take care of us. And like at our house, I was explaining this. You know, uh, when my wife gets sick, she still does a million things around the house. And when I get sick, I can't get out of bed and can't lift a finger. I need a woman for that. I need her help. Women are generally more emotional than men. They're usually more compassionate. They're caring. And they're gentle. Now, the reason for that is because the roles are different. God has given men and women different roles. The women are the child bearers. The, the women are mothers. Nobody takes care of you like your mother. And man needs a woman to compliment him because he's not naturally that way. And the reason that God made marriage as a union of two people to become one flesh is because the woman comes along and she fills in the areas of man where he is deficient. The woman comes and she fills in and she supports the man to help him to function in God's given role as the head of creation. And so you ladies, you're right all along. If you thought that your husband wasn't perfect until you came, you're absolutely right. You're the one who completes him. You're the one who fills him out and makes him what God wants him to be. Now, all of that's great. Everything I've explained to you, I think this is really great. And you ladies right now, put your arm around your husband. You've got stars in your eyes. And you're humming, stand by your man and and tell the world that you love him because after all, he's just a man. And that's what Eve was singing. That's what she was singing. Everything was going great. And Adam had a wife that loved him and Eve had a husband that she adored. With a wink in her eye, she looked at Adam and she said, Adam, you are the only man for me. But then there was something that went totally wrong. And when it went wrong it actually increased the necessity of submission. So what happened? We read it a moment ago in 2 Timothy where it says, the woman was first 
in transgression. Adam was first in the creation, but the woman was first in transgression. Now, does that make women sinister? Does that make them the cause of all the evil that's in the world and the fault for everything that's gone wrong? Yes. No, no actually, no. Not really. No, because God held the man accountable. Why? Because he was the one who was to be the Lord over God's creation. And Adam was the one who should have been watching over his wife and made sure that she was strong enough to resist the devil. God held Adam accountable and not Eve. And so Adam is the cause of the fall of the human race. Well, does that mean that Eve escaped God's justice? She didn't. God just dealt with Eve in a special way. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see what happened. Adam had eaten that forbidden fruit, and when he did, he made every excuse in the book why he did it. He first started to blame Eve. He said, God, it's the woman's fault. You gave her to me, which actually was saying, God, it's your fault. Or he said, it's the serpent's fault. The devil beguiled us. It's his, it's his fault. This is the reason that we entered into sin. I mean, he said, you know, the, the moon is in the seventh house and Jupiter was aligned with Mars. So what could I do? I, I had to do it. I had to sin. And then God turned to the woman and he asked her, he said, what have you done? And then he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. I don't know what would have happened in childbirth if Adam and Eve had never sinned. Maybe it would be true. Storks deliver babies, and there wouldn't be any pain that's involved at all. But because there was sin that entered into the world, there is this pain that comes with childbirth. And some say that's totally indescribable. There's no way that you can tell what that is. I mean, what was, one lady I heard said it's like taking your lower lip and stretching it over top of your head. That's what it feels like. But that's not the main thing that I want to point out to you today. That was bad enough. But I want you to look, look at this next part here. The last part of that verse, verse 16 in Genesis 3. Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now, there is the command. The fall of man actually intensified the woman's submission. Sin intensified submission. And really, that's the whole reason why it is still so vigorously resisted today. It's because of sin. Women resist this because of sin. And the battle of the sexes, that began all the way back there in the Garden of Eden. Eve was already under man. She was already under her husband because Adam had the lordship over creation, but the emphasis became stronger when there was sin. Now, if Adam was the one who was held accountable, then why did God make a new stipulation for Eve? Well, interestingly enough, and this is very important, this is very important, Eve's transgression was a violation of Adam's lordship. Now, she listened to the devil... And she didn't go to her husband and ask him the interpretation of God's command. She should have asked Adam about that before she ate. And then what she did, she involved Adam in the transgression. Now, that doesn't excuse Adam. He did the wrong thing. Certainly he did. But the whole thing started right here when Eve stepped out of the bounds of God's order of creation. And she took upon herself something that was the responsibility of man. 
Now, where am I going with all of this? And maybe you're sitting here this morning and listening to all these things about submission. Where am I going with this? Well, I don't want to disjoint all of this from the teaching about how that we make marriages work. My main premise today is that when we go outside of God's boundaries, when we step outside of God's order of things, there will be problems. Now, what I'm saying to you ladies is not that submission means, or submission to your husband means that you have to get up early, you have to go out and get the newspaper like a little puppy dog and then bring it back in and say, here, master, here's your paper. The point is that you are to submit to your husband by honoring him for the position that God has given. Now, let's look at that last verse in Ephesians 5 again. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular... So love his wife even as himself and see that the wife reverence her husband. The word reverence there means to fear. Only it doesn't mean fear in the sense of being afraid of him. And unfortunately, that's the way some men act and women are afraid of their husbands. That's a terrible thing. That's against God. What he means here is that a wife is to give respect to her husband. Sometimes he doesn't act like the head of the house, as he should. Sometimes he doesn't always make the right decision. But after all, he is just a man. And you do have to consider that he is just a man and honor his position because that is what God has given him. Now, I think it is true that there are men who respected their wives as they should. If they loved them as they should, if they followed what God says here, and the man were to look at his wife, also with respect, and the lover as he does his own body, as we talked about last week, the lover as he does himself. And if women were to honor the position that God has given them by giving the respect to their husbands, wouldn't we have happier homes? Wouldn't we have homes that are successful and marriages that are for the Lord and really don't have all the problems that we see today? See, folks, none of the commands that God has given are to make our lives miserable. We're not going to be happy and have a good marriage when a man is overly assertive, when he treats his wife and his children like a slave, and neither will wives be in a happy marriage if they're going to act like little Miss Feminist and think that because her husband is the one to whom she's to have submission to, because of that he's some kind of a male chauvinist pig. Women are not going to be happy that way. You see, folks, what I'm trying to get across to you, that if the principle is as big as creation itself, then what makes us think that we can turn the creation on its end and start doing things our way, according to our plan, and carry out our marriages by what we want to do instead of what God says to do, and on the other end, we're going to come out with happy marriages. You cannot solve disobedience with more disobedience. We must follow God's plan. Now let me read to you one more verse that puts everything in perspective. Verse 21 in Ephesians 5 gives us the summation of the concept of submission. It says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And what that means is that we are to obey God in our area of submission. What is God's order? It is that Christ submitted to his heavenly Father. It is that the man submits to Christ. It is that the woman submits to the man. 
And if you go on reading there in chapter 6 in Ephesians, you find that children are submit themselves to the authority of their parents. Now, if we follow those very simple procedures, again, instead of trying to stand the creation on its head, I promise you that your marriages will not end in divorce. They can't because they're in the will of God. So if people in Jesus' time and people today would only know the correct reading and the correct interpretation of the law, Jesus would need to teach them about divorce. And if we understand what God's law is intended to do, we would never make the mistake of thinking that we can be right in God's eyes without being completely dependent upon God. And if your marriage is dependent upon God, it'll be a happy marriage. If you remove God from the picture, if you remove God's word from the picture, if you take control and you try to run your marriage the way you think it ought to be run, then it's going to fail. From Adam to Moses, marriages failed because they went away from God's plan. From Moses to Jesus, things got worse because they did not follow God's plan. And from Jesus to 21st century America, things are even worse than ever before because we have decided we are not going to follow God's plan. Now the whole problem here, the whole problem started way back in the Garden of Eden Man fell. It began the battle of the sexes. Woman was put into further subjection, and it never would have happened without sin. So, men have become oppressors of women. That's true. There's no doubt about that. The only way that all of this can be restored to its rightful place is to have Christ in a marriage. Ephesians chapter 5 is all about having Christ in your marriage and learning when and where to submit. So what is the plan that God intends? What, what, is, what is it that holds marriages together? Well, just like Jesus taught concerning the law of God, all of this, everything that we're talking about, is built upon a godly love. I developed that whole theme two or three weeks ago when we talked about how the law of God, the Old Testament law, is concerned with our love for God and our love for each other. If we know the law of God properly, if we understand love properly, we will have right marriages. Now, what is then the plan that works? It's all outlined for us right here in Ephesians chapter 5. Let me read it to you one more time. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. That is God's plan, and that's the plan that works. It works because it came from God. And I promise you, if you follow the plan, you will have a happy marriage. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you 
for the time that we spend in your word today. Lord, the things that we teach on this subject are not popular. It goes against the grain of the world's thinking. And we see what the world's thinking has done for our marriages. Lord, I just ask you that you'd call us back to obedience to the word of God, that we might see it among both husbands and their wives so that we once again have God-honoring marriages. Lord, I pray for someone here today who doesn't know you as Savior. All the things that we're talking about here make little difference at all if our souls are not eternally safe by trusting you as our Savior. So, Lord, I just pray if there's anyone here that's lost, they might come to know you today. And then for Christians who are having struggles in their marriage, all kinds of difficulties, help us to go back to your word. Help us to love as we should. Speak to our hearts. Make us the kind of people that we really need to be. Bless our people today, Lord. Bless in this time as we sing together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.